The following is a breakout session from the 2014 Acts 29 conference in Dallas. Given the interactive nature of breakouts and Q&A, there may be extended periods of silence. All right. Did that wake you up? There you go. We are ready to go for today, and uh, if you are new with us today and uh, you missed uh, yesterday's uh, groupings, just to let you know, this is the uh, potential or actual future church planters um, session breakout. So if you fit in those categories, uh, you are in the right place. Some people yesterday I know uh, accidentally slipped into here uh, and who needed to be in the zero to 50 size church. And so uh, if that's yours, it's across the hall. All right. So starting today, we're talking about financial matters and the gospel in relationship to uh, a healthy church with its financial matters. We're going to be starting with that. And then uh, we are going to be concluding our day and our sessions and our, this track together uh, later on this afternoon talking about being a church planting church, okay? Now, both of these subjects excite me uh, for different reasons. The money one excites me because you actually will have very tangible, very easy to identify things that you can start thinking through and working through right now. The one that's a little bit more tricky is being a church planning church. And so Jeff Metters and Chad Clarkson have their work cut out for them, but they are outstanding men who have outstanding things to say to you. And hopefully they will give you a vision for what it looks like to be a church planning church as a guy who hasn't even started a church yet. Okay, so how you can build that in your DNA right now. Um, okay, so we're going to be starting with, uh, again, uh, the question of why. We'll start with our theological underpinnings uh, in regards to being a healthy uh, church in terms of financial matters. And so my speaker for uh, this particular track is one I'm well acquainted with. His name is Adam Crawford. He is actually uh, one of the pastors at my church. And uh, Adam is one of the rare breed who is not only a worship pastor who is a, a phenomenal artist, but he's also a numbers cruncher. He also leads finances for our church and operational type things. So uh, he truly is unique and has a unique perspective to offer. I respect him uh, just madly and uh, believe that he serves our church in this way uh, very well. In fact, we just had a membership class where he got up and he told them boldly, I love talking about money. Now, what kind of pastor says that? You know, he loves it because he knows it's tethered to the heart of man and that there's always an opportunity for the gospel to win in the heart of man every time money is talked about. And so uh, without further ado, I'm going to uh, just introduce Adam and he's going to come teach us. Thanks, Rick. Well, it really is a joy uh, to get to be with you guys today. Um, I'm going to go and get started because we have some ground to cover. I want to make sure we get to all of it. Um, I I'm going to try and get through this uh, in, in such a way that will allow for maybe a question or two, but I also have a couple discussion questions uh, for you guys uh, that you'll be able to, maybe the, the guy or gal next to you, you can discuss those things. So for the next few moments, you are not aspiring church planners, okay? Just run with me here. Just, just, just go with me. I'm going to take just a little bit different approach and just try to get your mind in a different place. Right now, you are just committed church members who are eager to serve in your new church. 
okay? That's going to be our context today as I talk. As I thought about just how I wanted to talk about this and how I wanted to do this, the same things that I would say to you, I say to my church members. So there's, there's no difference there. So I decided we're just going to be magically whisked away for a moment, and we're just all going to pretend that this is our new members class for City View, okay? That's going to be our context for the next few moments. I think it'll be helpful. I, I think it'll be fun, hopefully, um, for you just to play that role, act as if you're in that position, um, and we'll just see how it goes. There may be a time or two that I may kind of break character and have to hop out um, just to kind of address you as church, planner, church planners, but then we'll, we'll jump back in, so just kind of stick with me on that. Before I say anything that I'm going to say, I think Rick might have done this yesterday. We were talking this morning, but I do just want to tell you that everything that I have said continues to be a long road and hard work. Even at my church, I mean, we are almost nine years in, and when you talk about money, man, it is where the rubber meets the road for the gospel um, and people's hearts. I mean, there is so much to be had in regards to idolatry and just how we think about ourselves and how we think about money. So it's something that we really have to be committed to the souls of our people. I feel like this is something I've just got to confess because I am kind of a numbers guy. Before I say any of this, I just want to tell you how much easier it would be and how tempted I often am. I really would like to just give people law, give this much, this is what you should do, you need to commit to this, and then I'm going to take that and I'm going to put it in a spreadsheet, I'm going to forecast it for the year, and we're going to nail our budget. I really am always tempted to give people that, but I can't. I can't do it. It's not what's best for people. Because people can nail law. Man, they can nail it. I can nail it. I've, my heart can be a thousand miles away from the Lord. And when that happens, just a question, what have we really done? Good job, man. People are, people are nailing the law. They are just getting it. They're, they're consistent. They're given this certain amount uh, in this consistency, this often. But they haven't connected any of that. There's, what are they giving out of? I get nervous a lot. I just, I don't want to push people to compulsion. Scriptures are pretty specific about that. But it is tempting. Be convinced that giving them grace and the love of Jesus is far better. And in it, you're going to align yourself with what the Spirit is already doing in your people's life. And this is what the Spirit's doing in your to-be church member's life. He is preparing them for an eternity with himself. That's it. That's what he's doing. In your future church members' lives, that's what you want to align yourself with. So before we jump in into uh, our new members class, let me just give you some, some overarching themes that, that we're going to be covering today and uh, somewhat connected, but uh, just, just some stuff that I just need to get off my chest. Um, I'm convinced that there are, there are two ways to live and there are two ways to do anything in life. We can do things in such a way that we are working or we can do things in such a way that we are responding. I would like us to see, and I want the people of my church to become a people that lives from a place of responding in all that they do. Okay, so here's, here's a statement of working, 
okay? When I give money to God's mission, he will bless me. All right, that's a statement of work. Let me, let me give you the other side. Statement of response. God has blessed me. This blessing has a name. His name is Jesus. And because God has been so generous in his blessing to me, in giving me Jesus, I cannot help but be generous with my money. Statement of response. Let's look at it another way. Owner versus steward. Owner versus steward. Owner statement. I'm happy to give God a portion of my money. Happy to give God a portion of my money. Steward statement. I am blown away that God allows me to have anything. As his representative, what a joy it is to manage his money in such a way that advances his will and his way and his kingdom and not my own. Statement of stewardship. Two stories with my kids. These are really recent. My seven-year-old, um, seven-year-old girl, she, she's, she's my oldest of, of four, and she has just been killing it on her piggy bank. I mean, she's been saving money. I think she's got like, what, like over $100 in her piggy bank? My, my wife's in here. And uh, I was in our bedroom working the other day, and, and Addie came in, and she's kind of out of the blue. She said, Daddy, I'm, I don't want to spend any of my money out of my, out of my piggy bank. It's like, okay, but, you know, tell me, tell me why you don't want to spend any money out of your piggy bank. And she said, in her own words, she said, because if I do that, then it would go down in my piggy bank. And I wouldn't have as much. Okay? Owner statement. Okay? Hold on to that. Max, my little buddy, my little four-year-old. He's number three. Lots of fun. He just turned four not too long ago on, on November 1st, and he got his first birthday card with money in it in the mail. It was hilarious. He opened this card, and it's got a check in it. So Tabor and I, my wife, we're, we're, you know, we're opening the card, and he sees this check, and he's just like, he didn't know what he's looking at. He's never seen a check. He's only seen cash. It's 50 bucks. A lot of money. He says, Daddy, what should I do with my money? I said, buddy, I don't know. And I was asking myself, whose money is it? I just thought, thought we'd kind of test the waters here. He said, God and Jesus. I said, that's right, buddy. That's exactly right. Steward statement. Okay? Daddy, I don't want to spend my money because it'll go down. Owner. What should I do with my money, Daddy? God and Jesus owns it. By the way, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but can we stop calling spending less stewardship? Can we just do that? Can we just get that out of our heads? And right now, I'm, I'm, I'm addressing you as church planners, okay? Let's stop calling spending less stewardship. Can we admit that, that somewhere along the way, someone has mentored us that the best use of money is to accumulate a large pile of it so that we can just stare at it and say, man, look at that big pile of money. Look at that big pile of money. God is so good. I want you guys to be careful to not equate spending less with godliness. All right? The truth, we're not owners, we are stewards. And because of Jesus, there's nothing to be earned 
but we've been freed to respond to his mercy and grace for both now and in eternity. Again, long road. That's a long road with people if you go that route, all right? It's a road of commitment. Here's some biblical reminders of not being owners. Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. And then Job says it like this. Uh, this is really sobering. Naked I come, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. John Stott, a uh, really, really smart guy, writes great commentary. He said this about that statement from Job. He said, so... When we read Job's words, our life then is a brief pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. Let's let that sink in for a second. Our life is a brief pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. It's good perspective. So the steward mentality is, is overarching. And I don't know if uh, Tom, who's doing the, the second session after me, that's going to kind of take more of a practical approach to this. Um, he's going to touch more on this, but the steward mentality, it's, 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 it's overarching. You are teaching people that as individuals, um, I'm sorry, they're not giving to you. They're giving to God's mission. And this is somewhere that, that we really go wrong. As, as stewards, they're, they're not giving their money just to be owned by the church or by you as a lead pastor, but it's being passed from one steward to another larger collaborative or steward initiative called the church in order to see God's mission generously funded. I think this can help free us up in the way we talk about money because you're not asking to give for people to give you money to pad your bank account. You are calling them to join you on the mission of God. So I'm going to let this foundation, uh, just as, as young church planners, as aspiring church planners, let this be our foundation to inform the way we teach and talk about money with our churches. Okay, so those are the overarching things. Welcome to the new members class. Glad you're here today. Uh, we're going to talk about funding God's mission. I want to talk about the heart of funding God's mission. So the most one of the largest, uh, without question, uh, metaphors used in the scripture to talk about the church is a family. Everyone in the family pitches in to help fund the mission. It's the most pervasive metaphor in the scriptures. We see examples of it all through the scriptures. And then also know this, that every dollar and every asset are mission assets to be leveraged for God's mission in using the church to make disciples of Jesus, Matthew 28. So I just want to tell you that even when it comes down to this facility, the air conditioning that's running right now, these are all mission assets that are helping push the mission of God forward. Yes, we have things that we do where we send money overseas, in the most common sense of the word, that we think of missions. But I want to help just expand your idea of what true missions is. And everything we have, every asset, every dollar in our bank account is to be leveraged for God's mission, to make disciples. So let's talk about the question, how much should I give? What's the win? So here's, here's the win. I would love to see you give in such a way that reflects 
or images the great generosity that God has shown us in the giving of his son Jesus. I'm going to say that one more time. I want to see you grow to give in such a way that reflects the great generosity that God has shown us in Jesus. We give cheerfully, regularly, sacrificially. These are our our New Testament guidelines found under the rulership of Jesus. We don't want to push a hard percentage with you. We just don't want to do that. It's we see more uh, in, in, in the language of Scripture being in the New Testament being used of generosity, sacrifice. That seems most consistent. Listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. I do not believe that one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts Luxuries, amusement, is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. And if our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say it is too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot because our commitment to giving excludes them. I want to press you to make how much you give a matter of prayer and seeking. Giving is meant to be an ongoing, dynamic component of lives lived in worshiping Jesus. Jamie Munson said that in his book called Money, God, or Gift, which is just a great resource. I encourage you to read. You know, not having specifics in the New Testament, the New Testament is quite silent on percentages. But not having those specifics, it pushes us to utter dependence on the Holy Spirit's guidance in this. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each one must give as he has decided in his own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. I'm going to spend just just a moment or two on this, um, and if this is something you, you want to talk about more greater, you know, ask questions about greater, that's, that's fine um, as well. Just say a few things about tithing. Let's talk about that word. Tithing versus sacrificial giving versus generosity. Without question, this is the guidance that we have in accordance with the law um, in the Old Testament regarding finances and how we are to give. However, though, um, I get a little nerdy here, but if, if, if the Old Testament is studied closely and meticulously enough, the percentage is actually probably closer to like 23%, all right? When you, when you average out all the different types of tithe, the priests, the Levitical tithe, the sacred festival tithe, the orphan and the widow tithe, when you average them all out, kind of bumps it up closer to that 20, maybe a little bit over 20%. If we're doing numbers here, all right? So even with this more uh, straightforward, specific system, can I just say this? It was never meant to communicate that only part of your money belongs to God. It was never meant to communicate that. You have to understand that that in the context that, that the law was given to this Jewish people, they were 
highly um, uh, using metaphors, doing things in action that were to display a larger truth or a spiritual truth. So in being called to give of this tithe or first fruits, this 10%, it was to get people in a consistent rhythm, a consistent pattern of giving money away to remind God's people that everything they had belonged to him anyway. That's what it was meant to do. It was, I like how Randy Alcorn says this. If you haven't read Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn, I'm going to say you may not buy everything in it, but if you need to just help um, in understanding the tithe better, this is what he says. Tithing is the training wheels of giving. I like that. It's the training wheels of giving. The overall flow of the New Testament suggests many, many examples of the church giving and sharing far beyond 10%. So here's what I would say. I think we're asking the wrong question. I think the better question, opposed to how much should I give, I think the better question is, who is Jesus? And I think as we wrestle and as we fight and as we seek with everything in us to answer that question, formulas go away, guys. It's, 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 it's endless, That owners and steward thing, let's talk about that just a little bit more. I think something that, that I realize, and know that I only realize this because it's just true in my own life. When we're owners, okay, when, when we have that mentality as owners, have you recognized that when you're operating in that way, you're always operating at a position of lacking you notice that? Or not having enough. And I just want to tell you why. I want to tell you why. Because in the truest sense of the word, when you are operating out of an owner mentality, you are a functional thief and liar. That's what's going on. That's why you're always operating out of a lack. Saying something is ours that isn't. This mentality leads to slavery for us and creates a great deal, I know you're going to connect with me on this one, creates a great deal of paranoia and anxiety. Anyone get anxious about money? Let's raise my hand first. <laughs> That's where that paranoia and anxiety comes from because you're a functional liar and thief. But there's good news. When we're stewards... Or let me just say it this way, when you just go ahead and just embrace what is true about you, whatever mentality you're ha you have, this is the true one. So you might as well just submit to it. When we're stewards, we operate out of joy, contentment, abundance, freedom, lightness. We're not faking it anymore. This is where we truly begin to enjoy God and his rich provisions for us. Let me restate that, that when. I would love to see a people be raised up at, at our church that would give in such a way that it reflects or images the great generosity that God has shown us in giving us Jesus. Did we need God to send Jesus? 
Yeah. And as new or aspiring members of this church, I want to just say a few things to you. I I want to look at you right in the eye, and I want to tell you these things. I want you to know this, that we are ready to meet you in this with a lot of grace. We're ready to meet you with a lot of grace as you grow in this. We realize that this way of thinking, or maybe for some of you, this is totally new. No one's ever challenged you in this way. Will you let us shepherd you and pastor you and help you start somewhere? Would you let us do that? It's a joy. And then also I want you to hear me say this. You are far more than a dollar sign to us. Far more. And that's exactly why it's worth for us to pursue your heart and to care for your soul in the area of your finances. We want you to be open with us. Communicate clearly. The floor is open. Be communicative if you are in a place of great financial struggle. If you're in bondage, let us have the privilege of shepherding you if you're struggling. Did you know that the gospel shines light on this area? Did you know that Nothing in the scripture and nothing about Jesus leads us to be secretive about this. We've made that up. Don't be secretive. On the flip side, I also want to ask you this. Since we're talking about being communicative, would you be open with us when you're in a great time of prosperity so that we can pastor you to be generous in your abundance? I'm going to just read uh, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. 1 Timothy 6, 17, 19. Just get there. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. On God who has richly provided for us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And and since we're already in 1 Timothy, just if you guys can... um, can we just put pens and paper down just for a moment, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end our, our time with this. I just want you to hear. I want you to listen. I'm just going to read some scripture, all right? Be in 1 Timothy, and I'm just going to start in verse 13. I just want you to listen. You don't have to follow along. It says this. <clears throat> I charge you, In the presence of God, who gives life to all things. And of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony, before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. So let me stop there. So Jesus, the God-man, he declared himself king before Pontius Pilate. Putting his faith and trust in himself providing the foundation and power in which our confession of Jesus as the king are built upon. 
Paul's charge is built upon the foundation of God who gives life to all and Christ who is the perfect embodiment of the Father. Continuing, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He, Jesus, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality. I like that phrase, who alone has immortality. Literally, rendered literally, this means possesses immortality. You see, our immortality is held together by him who owns immortality. He has eternal life in and of himself alone and is dependent on no one or no thing. As his creatures, we are dependent on his ownership of immortality to be able to experience an eternity with him. We need him. He does not need anything. He stands alone. Who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. So no darkness in any form can enter into his presence. It's impossible for anything to thwart the splendor of his holiness. And he who dwells in approachable, unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. You know, sure, I, we have some records in the scriptures of some, some partial sightings, some backside sightings or, or glimpses of the glorious God. But we ain't seen nothing yet, right? And apparently there's, there's quite a bit more to see of the one true God in the splendor of his spectacularly radiant holiness and all-consuming glory. Oh, there's more to see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. So maybe for a moment, as I was just reading that, Maybe you forgot that we were talking about money. Maybe you forgot about that. And I think that's kind of instruction, uh, instructive for us. As we dwell, as we think, as we pursue, as we gaze upon him, all other things fall away. Man, and we just, when we live constantly in this question, who is Jesus? How can we not help but say, take it all. Be glorified. Take it all. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. Okay, that's the end of the membership class. Thank you. <laughs> You're now covenant members of City View Church. So um, I think <clears throat> I ended a little bit earlier than I had to, but just wanted to open the floor up. If there's any questions, or you're welcome to do that. Um, if not, I've got some discussion questions for you guys, but just want to allow the opportunity.
for that. Totally. Sure. Yeah, so what I've done lately is I kind of did some back-end work. And in our church, I picked out, kind of hand-selected four or five couples in our church that understand this, um, that really understand generosity, and they don't, I mean, we can be generous in a Christless way too, right? I mean, we can do that. But that really have, have connected the, the truth um, of the generosity of Jesus and them showing that in their giving. I've, I've hand-selected those couples, and I tell people that. I tell people, look, I have, I've picked some people out that are ready and excited and eager and willing to meet with you. Um, I don't put any upfront restrictions on here's what those meetings are going to look like because I really trust these couples that I've picked out. I know like one couple, um, this book, I think it might be on, there's a resource list or something that Rick maybe put together, but uh, Jamie Munson's book called Money, God, or Gift. Um, sometimes we'll have them go through that book. And then other couples are just so fluent in talking about this, they can meet a few times and they may do some practical things. Hey, bring your budget. Well, we don't have a budget. Bring your computer, let's make one. Um, so it may kind of run the gamut depending on the couple, and I don't feel, I don't really police that. I just know that, that I trust the couples and their fluency of being able to help people connect and give out of a heart uh, that's just been changed by the gospel. So is that, yeah. Yes. For me personally, um, you know, I don't. In this moment, I don't know if I can think of a moment where that changed. But what I do know is that over these past eight years, I've I feel like I've just encountered God's grace in a way um, that. I guess it's just changed me more than it than it ever has. Um, I was telling Rick this just just a little bit ago. You know, um, I feel like right now because there's just some. I mean, there it is just a season of some difficulty for me right now personally, and just some things at our church. It's all very normal stuff. Um, that you guys will probably face with just shepherding people that can just be difficult. Um, but I think something's happening in me because like more and more every day, I'm just getting really excited about Jesus coming back. I'm getting really excited about it. Um, and Rick and I were talking about this going like, God's will is being accomplished in me in that. 
as I grow in my longing to see Jesus face to face. And in that, I have to say, to see some of these troubles just stop, man, just to come to an end, you know? But at the same time, it also, so it pushes me in that way, but then it also pushes me to like, okay, what I'm feeling and, and the way that it's changing my life, I want to try to really get what I'm doing on the local level to represent the change that's happening in my heart. And I want to, like, I want to get it, try to work toward it for it to be as accurate as possible here and now. Um, I feel like that's the best way I can answer that. <laughs> yeah. Mm, that's a good question. Uh, how do you guys uh, approach benevolence? Yeah. You know, I'll be honest with you. Um, just, we're just about finished with our 2015 budget. And as far as like mercy ministries, we actually have now finally set up an actual account for that. We haven't known exactly what to do. Um, I can give you kind of just some, uh, maybe this isn't helpful, this this not really from a heart level, but um, I know like, like we don't, like if someone comes up and approaches a church building and needs something specific, you know, we don't give out cash. You know, we don't carry cash to church. You know, that's, uh, that's dangerous. Um, but we will uh, accompany that person, um, maybe with someone else with, with us, and buy them food, or we will fill their gas tank up. Um, sometimes we've talked about, like, you know, you can give them, like, a Walmart gift card. The only thing there is Walmarts, you know, sell alcohol and stuff, and you, you might... I don't know, you might be funding something that you don't want to fund in that person that's not good for them. Um, but we're kind of noobs in that regard, just trying to figure out how we want to do that. And we've allocated some money for 2015 um, to see what that looks like and just to uh, be able to approach that. Now, as I'm saying that, I'm, I'm also thinking what really got us stirred on that is benevolence within our own church family. That's something that came up this year. We had a lady, um, and it's our first kind of big case of this. She was, she's got stage four breast cancer. I mean, it's bad. I mean, it is so far advanced. Um, it's just not looking good. And uh, she's a single lady on top of that. And her community group has just been incredible to take care of her, but her hot water heater went out, you know? So a guy in our church that can fix anything donated the labor, and the church was able to pay for the hot water heater. And that's kind of what got my wheels spinning on. You know, it's not necessarily just the, the random person that may approach for help, but also just to be able to help um, that, that we've got some excess, so to speak, to be able to randomly do those things as they come up, because they will come up. So I do know you have to have a benevolence policy I just learned this. Um, Tom, I'm getting into your, <laughs> as a 501c3, you actually have to have a benevolence policy. The IRS wants to see that, but I'm not going to say anything. So is that, is, is that helpful? I don't know if that's what you were looking for, but yeah.
of taking on debt as a as a church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the way our ch- the way we've operated in that, we do. We have borrowed money uh, currently on our the facility that we were in a school for two years, um, and we moved into a facility in 2009, and it's been good. It's been a stretch for us. Um, we did get a loan uh, to be able to make that happen. We're probably a little debt, more debt heavy than I would like us to be, but we're working at it. We're, we're chopping away at it, you know, and our people seem to be behind that. Um, I don't really have a strong, I just don't know if, like, if I can comfortably say don't ever get in debt. And that sounds like, that sounds even dirty coming out of my mouth because I, mean, I just know how many of you are probably on the Baby Steps program right now with Dave Ramsey. And it's just great, but like at the same time, um, man, that really, like our, our church, just the, the effectiveness of our church to be able to get in that facility in our context, like if you're in a school, you're not really taken seriously where, where, where we live. And we kind of felt that. We kind of topped out, you know, maybe around 75 people. And then when we were able to put a pretty good down payment of cash on this, on this building, um, I mean, gosh, we doubled overnight in just people that were resources that were in our midst and able to plant more churches and, and see the gospel go forward. So I don't want to say don't get into debt, but I will say this, just a one real simple operating deal, like when I was talking about somewhere along the way, someone has told us that it's best to accumulate large piles of money and then just to say, man, look at that big pile of money. Um, I say that, but also let me say, you should not spend more than you take in. Like, let me just, like, you shouldn't do it. I mean, that You should operate in that way. I, I, I guess that kind of feels like a given, but maybe, maybe that needs to be said. Um, let's not spend more than we take in to perpetuate even more debt that's not, you know, doesn't have an asset leaned against it, you know? So, thank you. Anybody else? Maybe like one more question. There's, yeah. Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question, and it is, it is kind of a caveat. I mean, I think I would encourage, like, if you're going to, if, if you're after saving a certain pile of money, I would just say, have plans to do something with it. Like, save towards something. Like, for us, I think when we, uh, we had maybe a little over $100,000 in the bank when we got this opportunity to uh, plant the church, or I'm sorry, not plant the church, but to uh, get in this building and Pretty good chunk of it went to the building as a down payment, you know? But that's what, that was a good use for that money to see the mission of God go forward. Um, so I would just say, if you're saving, name it. This is what we're doing here. And then be consistent and be ready that when it comes time to pull the trigger, to write the check, you know? It is really sad when we see churches fold and go under that they had $500,000 sitting in the bank. Man, that is sad. That is sad. 
Um, and I'm, maybe there's someone that would, maybe there's some other views on that. Uh, I'm just one guy, and I, can, I, I can't escape my own experiences. It's impossible for me to do that. Um, but this is one way that Rick is just really good for me in that, because I'll be honest, um, I kind of lean toward that big pile of money, kind of like it, kind of want to stare at it. And um, this, is, this is the mission of God, folks. You, like, what you do as a 501c3, as a not-for-profit, just want to tell you, you spend money. You are supposed to spend money. And you're supposed to spend money on your mission. That's what we do. We don't accumulate money. We spend money. Yeah. All right. Um, let me give you guys a, uh, we've got about, I guess, 10 or 15 minutes. I have just a couple discussion questions. Um, why don't you just, if you've got your team around you, you can gather up with them. If you're alone, join in with another team that's next to you. And I'll just ask you this, this question. In what ways do you need to repent in having an owner mentality in regards to your money and possessions? So again, let's just keep this at, at a heart personal level and you guys just engage in maybe some confession, just how do I need to repent? How have I done that? So go for it.